It is time, and many of you are saying it is high time, and some are even saying it is beyond time for Plan B with Rebecca Davis. A very good afternoon, Ms. Davis. Very good afternoon. And, John, how do we feel about the lettuce winning? <laughs> I am delighted. Is the lettuce prime minister is the question on all our lips. Will that lettuce become prime minister? It couldn't do a worse job. Uh, and uh, one, I mean, I, is it going to be a man who takes over from Liz Truss? And then what vegetable will Tesco or will what vegetable will the Daily Star use in its live YouTube video to ask of its uh, readers and viewers how long, which will last longer? Rushi Sunak or... Assume it would be aubergine. aubergine. <laughs> it would have to be, John, really. <laughs> it would have to be. Um, Rebecca, we have been talking quite a lot about the uh, ministerial handbook and the welcome, <laughs> the work, welcome disavowment of that and also going, how the hell could they think this, this would have, <laughs> would have played at all uh, well? And, um, Mondli Gungobele, I mean, I, I read that. Oh, you know, these ministers have more expenses than you realise. Do they? Do they? Do they? He claimed he was paying 10,000 rand a month in medical aid. I mean, I just, I, I don't have the knowledge to query that, but it sounds very unlikely. But I was struck when I was reading this week, <clears throat> Ferial Hafferty's fantastic new book on state capture, Days of Zondo, with the memory of what... Malusi Gigaba's ex-wife, Norma Ngoma, told the Zondo Commission. And you might recall that she was asked how it was that Malusi Gigaba could hand out such vast amounts of cash to her all the time, which he apparently did. He would give her 50,000 rand or 100,000 rand, she said, in cash for shopping sprees. And the evidence leaders wanted to know, well, didn't you think it was weird that he just had so much cash at his disposal? Norma Ngoma replied, and I quote, I did not find it strange because Malusi has been a minister for a long time. She said, we hardly paid for anything. And I'm just summarizing there, but she literally said that because of his ministerial status, they had almost zero expenses. And that is why she did not find it at all strange that he could have been, you know, just harboring these vast amounts of money because... He had nothing to spend it on. That is what Norman Goma said under oath to the Zondo Commission, which really makes me feel that Mondli Gungobela's protestations that actually ministers are paying out the notes for all sorts of things we don't realize just has to be the nonsense we already suspect it to be. I mean, of course it is. I'm sure some of them have private homes and they will have expenses related to those private homes. But if they choose to stay in their official residences, then their cooking is done for them. Their cleaning is done for them. They are chauffeured here, there and everywhere. They have free flights. Uh, yeah, so... And don't forget, John, that one of Gungubella's points is that being a minister is kind of a uniquely insecure job tenure, which is kind of true, I have to say. You can be dismissed at a moment's notice. There's no CCMA for you. You serve at the pleasure of the president. But don't forget that some of these folks endure, right? The free flights, for instance. They endure. So it's not even as if you get dumped as minister and that's it. Now you're in the poorhouse. We know that never happens. That's the very worst. You become a backbencher normally in parliament. So that, too, unfortunately, is an argument that doesn't stick. But I must say, I do love the introduction of the term food aid into our national lexicon, John. I am struggling to think of what to cook tonight. And if only I had my own little food aid. <laughs>
<laughs> Does Miles know what he wants to eat on a regular basis? You, or do you have to, to think about what to cook in order to coax Miles to grow up even more strong and intelligent than he clearly is going to? I, I mean, I already feel guilty using the word cook because I should say that that is, you know, a misrepresentation as to what's about to happen in this kitchen. But it will involve some form of heating, which really is almost as hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you, uh, my mind, I hear you say endure, and then I hear you say dump, and then I go, shouldn't you have said ordure? Anyway, moving right <laughs> along. Something else that you want to tell us after having read Ferial's Days of Zondo? Yes, I was giving you a list as I went along about things that emerged from the Zondo Commission proceedings, which were just so surreal. And some of them I think I'd forgotten or I never knew, etc. I'm just going to give you four of them here. The, the reminder that Des Van Roy and our good old weekend special. I mean, if you cast your mind back, John, to that moment when Des Van Roy was announced as the finance minister, I just remember in the newsroom the absolute consternation because literally none of us had ever heard of him, right? And the belief among some of us that he might actually be white, which made it even stranger as an appointment because his name was kind of racially ambiguous. But the reminder that Desmond Ryan arrived at the Treasury with a bunch of private consultants he had clearly never met. I mean, walking up to your first day of work and saying, hi, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm Desmond Ryan, to a bunch of paid consultants, paid clearly by your overlords. That is the kind of country that we were, we were dealing with at that stage. Secondly, that when the MP Vincent Smith was arrested on corruption charges, we know he's allegedly was uh, taking money from Bosasa to um, subsidize his daughter's education, all sorts of other things. But when he was arrested, he was in the process of writing the ANC's submissions to the Zondo Commission. I mean, that really says it all, John. That, together with the fact that the first secretary of the Zondo Commission had to be dismissed after he was implicated in the Zondo Commission. The third one, that the oath sworn by South Africa's spies used to be simply a declaration of loyalty to the Republic and was changed in the Zuma era to swear an oath of loyalty to the president. I mean, that is just so sinister if you think about it. It just sort of gives me chills that the wording of that was very deliberately amended. And finally, and this is my absolute favorite, that the former president, Jacob Zuma, I mentioned this at Farrell's book launch last night, the former president, Jacob Zuma, was, of course, extremely paranoid, probably still is, about poisoning. So he employed, at considerable expense, our expense, needless to say, an army of personal toxicologists who would test his bedding for poison and would also test his food and drink. And that this army of personal toxicologists, after going through the Inkandla pantry with a fine-tooth comb, did eventually come off with some very, very sinister materials, John, and that was expired cool drink. <laughs> there was expired cool drink in the Inkandla pantry. <laughs> I presume it was sugar-containing, and he'd he'd avoided it because he was trying to uh, control his health. Uh, mm, mm, him. Mm. Um, I get confused about what a billion is, whether it's uh, a thousand million or a million million. So I'm not quite sure, Rebecca, whether a centimillionaire is richer than a billionaire. I think no. Yeah, the billionaire is still the richest. The zillionaire the is richest. the richest, but that's right. Gazillionaire is, of course, the technical term for the highest. Um, the first global report on centimillionaires has just been released. Centimillionaires are people who have more than 100 million U.S. 
dollars in assets. I'm not sure why we need this new metric, except that there are more of these people than there are billionaires, and it supposedly gives us more of a sense of sort of where the world's super rich is developing out of. They might not be billionaires yet, but they're sort of on, on the way. There are thousands of these people currently in the world. It won't surprise you to learn that the USA has 40% of them, and then followed by China, India, and the UK, they have the most. But I was genuinely surprised to learn, John, that South Africa has 92 centimillionaires. So 92 people in this country, or you know, citizens of this country, have more than $100 million in assets. And that puts South Africa at 27th place globally for the number, which is extremely high. And the top I in Africa, have, I saw, yeah. Definitely the top in Africa, but also high globally. I mean, that must definitely put it ahead of a number of European countries. And if anything, I'm afraid, although some would say it's a good indication that, you know, there are conditions for strong wealth growth in South Africa, it's also perhaps an indictment of of the wealth inequality in this country, that there can be so many super rich. It also won't surprise you, John, to hear that most centimillionaires are like you. They are white males over 55. I don't know what your excuse is from the USA and Europe. Perhaps your excuse is that you don't fall into these personality traits. These are the personality traits, apparently, of centimillionaires. They are more conscientious, more open to experience, and more extroverted, I think that's the key in your case, than the average person. They are also less agreeable, as in less likely to shy away from conflict, and less neurotic, as in more psychologically stable. If you have all those traits, apparently, you are more likely to become a centimillionaire. John, if you're one of these people, this news report from Henley Global shows, you go on holiday in the Hamptons. You go to Florida, you go to the French Riviera. But Africa does get a look in because their ninth most popular holiday destination is a wildlife safari in Africa. Maybe not Kruger anymore, but, you know, that Kenyan giraffe place, etc. they love that. And their hobbies, totally unsurprising, golf, art collecting, Cycling is a new one. It's the third most popular hobby for the super rich is cycling, skiing, watch collecting, and they love classic car collecting. The most popular classic car to be collected by the super rich apparently is a Ferrari from the 1960s. I don't even have a mental picture of what that could look like, but perhaps you do, John. And that's I do. I drove one a few years ago. Um, yes. So I, that's I was, your I was writing your a link. Sto- yeah, I was writing a story. Um, I was being paid the princely sum of one round twenty-five a word for a five hundred word story on uh, South Africans who own and drive Ferraris, and I got to drive a nineteen sixty-eight Ferrari California as part of the story. It was a wonderful experience, it really. Was. And John, I think that word rate is the answer to why you are in fact not <laughs> a centimillionaire, as are none of us in journalism. <laughs> I was reading, I think it was on Business Insider yesterday, that a South African has bought um, a swanky apartment, I think on Fifth Avenue, but in that very, very fancy part of Manhattan, uh, bought an apartment for more than a billion rand and, and, and bought it after viewing it, making the offer after seeing um, a 3D hologramic picture of it on some real estate website. So I love you know, the fact that um, Samuel L. Jackson is a neighbor might have had something to do with it. I'm not so sure. But I do mean, do we so, know who this person was? No, we don't know who this person was. But I suspect for a I mean, if you if you've got a hundred million dollars in assets, then you've got two billion rand in assets, roughly. So it's unlikely to have been one of these centi millionaires. It's more likely it's to have been one of the billionaires because, yeah, you need a bit more. I, I do want to be happy.
Rebecca. I do. You do want to be I happy. Know, I know that you might think many times that it is the least important goal in my life, but I do want to be happy. Help. Well, then I'm going to tell you here what you should do, but first let me test your intuition. Over the course of a day, John, which of these two scenarios do you think would make you happier? Interacting with three close friends, that's option one, or option two, interacting with one close friend, one family member, and one co-worker? Oh, that's, is, that, is that second set of three separately or all together? Separately. Okay, so the choice is to... They're both separately. Oh, okay. So, yeah, give me the choices again, please. Either you, you have hung out and talked in depth with three close friends, or you have hung out and chatted, perhaps not in depth, with one close friend, a co-worker, and a family member. Okay, it's quite difficult for me because I don't have three close friends. But I, I, I think the choice would be with three close friends. One would think, and yet you are wrong, according to new research from Harvard, which shows in the slightly disgusting language of sort of investment banking that if you want to be happy, you need to have a diverse social portfolio, John. <laughs> A diverse social portfolio. So this research was conducted with an impressive 50,000 people in eight countries, including South Africa, by the way. And it found that in order for you to be happy, you need to have a high variety and number of people in your social network, right? But more importantly than that, it found that people who have more weak social ties, which is to say people who have a higher number of random acquaintances, basically, are happier, have higher satisfaction levels than people who perhaps have a small number of close friends. It also found that interacting with a random acquaintance can improve your happiness more or as much as interacting with your loved one, your partner, your significant other. Basically, the, 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 the upshot of it is that in complete contradiction to everything else we've been told about the happiness and social networks, Quality does not matter as much as quantity. You spending three hours talking to a close friend might make you happy, but making you just as happy could be you walking down the road and saying hi or just nodding to 10 people whose faces you know but not even your name. John, I have to say I'm quite delighted because it strikes me as a real effort saver. No longer do we have to devote any kind of time to putting into, you know, investing in these close relationships. All we have to do is just make sure we say hi to you, the guy who serves you cappuccino and your co-worker, and you'll be golden. Oh, if only I could do that. Thank you, Rebecca. She'll be back with another plan.